Hey, you want a s'more? S'more what? No, no, you want a s'more. I haven't had anything yet. So how can I have some more of nothing? You're killing me, Smalls. Do I what? You want a s'more. S'more what? Come on now, a s'more. You're going to have to be specific. It's a graham cracker, a mellow, because that's what he calls it, it's a mellow. Carmelo Anthony? Not quite. I don't want him, NBA teams don't want him, why would I want him? Well, you definitely don't want him on a cracker and tried to eat him. No, that would I don't be, think he wants that. That would be cannibalism, that's frowned upon in our society. I, I would, I'd frown upon that. Yeah, I would too. So, how's your week been? What uh, you doing? It's not been bad. Um, one thing I do want some s'more of is our podcast, What the What. Look at that segue. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Anybody? No? All right. So, <laughs> so your, um, your coffee mug that you're drinking mm-hmm. out of, it says, yeah. in case of emergency, ask Eric. Mm-hmm. Source, hashtag source of all wisdom. Yes. How long have you had this? <laughs> uh, my neighbors, the Davises, you know them. I do know Shout them. Shout out to Mike, Belinda. Mindy uh, and Mindy Chloe. And Chloe. Uh, Mindy was not with them, but Saturday I was outside working on the Jeep, and they've been to a trip in Tennessee in the mountains, and they came and said they had to see my reaction to my face when they brought me this <laughs> mug. So it was all wrapped up, and uh, I figured it's great. For those of you out there that don't know, I do a new week, new mug. So every week I have a new mug. It's something I started over two years ago where people just give me mugs, and I get to use them uh, and keep them forever. So I've got them all on my wall and everything else. So they said that me and Eric are pretty much a big, a big tag team, you know, where one is the other one is also, you know, here we go with a podcast. So I figure all the important questions, you know, if you have an emergency, it's a reminder for me to ask Eric because he's hashtag source of all wisdom. That's so incredible. I'm drinking and my drink out of here tonight. Wow. Super. I'm not even sure what to say. I don't even know if I can record the rest of the podcast. I'm just in shock that they would make a mug that would spit out the truth this loudly. Well, for those of you at home, like I literally held it up for a good like 20 seconds waiting for Eric to just notice. I'm not and very then, attention detailed. And then finally he noticed. So there, we can move forward now. That's our little uh, podcast fun for the week. Wow. What are we talking about this week? We are talking about the Sandlot. The Sandlot. Um, and I want to give a shout out to my uh, friend and uh, co-worker Chris Creech, uh, who let me borrow his copy of the movie. And uh, thank you, Chris. I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the first time I saw this movie. Well, I want to give a shout out to Amazon Prime <laughs> for uh, allowing me to rent this movie. For because, what, $3.99? Uh, I think it was $3.99. I still am able to watch it today when I go home, if it, you know, if I choose to. But uh, I have this movie, but it's on VHS, and I don't have my VCR hooked up to my television right now. So it was easier just to rent it on Prime. But I don't remember when I first watched it either. I just remember having the movie. Like for some reason, I feel like this movie has always been with me. Mm-hmm. Like I've just, I don't have any specific memory of watching it. I just have memories of. Always knowing the quotes and the scenes and and everything, it's just like I feel like it's always been with me. I get that. Like like you said, I don't remember necessarily sitting a specific moment and watching it, but I always just remember everything about it. I think it really captured the love of the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, growing up, 
as a sports fan, I used to live and breathe baseball as a child. And just re-watching these kids who lived in the 60s, they didn't have television, video games, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But they lived and breathed baseball, and that's all they looked forward to in the summer. I remember doing that. I remember wanting to do nothing but go outside and throw the ball against the wall and yep. pl- or play catch with my dad and, mm-hmm. or go to the um, batting cages and, and you know hit balls or uh, try to hit home runs out, out at the uh, ballpark. Um, I remember doing all that because I loved the game so much. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie really perfectly captures what that is like from a 9- or 10-year-old's point of view. I totally agree with that. Uh, do you want to do like a brief synopsis? Because I'm always still blown away of the amount of people that have never seen this movie. Tim Hutchinson. Um, <laughs> but there's always people. I mean, and he's not the only one. I know there's no. others out there. But well, This movie came out 26 years ago. Last year was the 25th anniversary. It was. And uh, it's about a kid, uh, Scotty Smalls, who uh, him and his mom moved to a new neighborhood with uh, his stepdad. I think his name's Bill, yep. um, which he either calls him dad or Bill. And he always like switches up like dad. I mean, Bill or Bill. I mean, dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of a smaller kid, you know, nicknamed Smalls. And he's looking for friends, and he sees a bunch of guys playing baseball at this sandlot. And he thinks, you know, if I go out there and just stand in the outfield, they'll hit, hit a ball to me, and I'll instantly become one of them. And uh, another kid, Benny uh, Rodriguez, takes mm-hmm. him under his wing and teaches him how to play the game. And it's just uh, the rest of the movie is just basically a montage of them getting into all these shenanigans while playing the game or going to the pool or going to the carnival. And then one day – uh, they don't have a baseball. Uh, Smalls hits a home run over the fence, mm-hmm. and that was their last baseball. And who he, lives over the fence? Uh, Mr. Myrtle, and more importantly, the Beast Hercules. Well, the we beast. didn't know him. We didn't know Hercules, but <laughs> the, the Beast, just this vicious animal of a dog. I mean, just ma- massive. Well, Scotty says, "I've got a baseball." Goes to Bill's trophy room and grabs this ball off of a mantle that was in a trophy case. Mm-hmm. And they hit it over the fence, and turns out that ball was signed by Babe Ruth. And then they got to figure out how to try to get it back. It's really an excellent movie. It is. Um, but that's, you know, a very long synopsis of, you know, what the movie's like, but it's just so fun to watch. It is, and I don't even think you had to necessarily watch it as a kid to love it. Now, because there are, there is some maturity parts to it, I, and not so like it's not a very like insanely mature movie, but there's parts that still it's not just like a super kiddie movie. Like as I was in, now. I was kind of in shock with some of the language that mm-hmm. was used. Um, I laughed at it, but I was like, wait a minute, I don't remember them using this no. kind of language when I, you know, grew growing up watching. Maybe it's because it was on TV and they censored it. Possibly, possibly. Um, but that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, well, I'll jump in. Like I love this time period in general. Like. At least the style of this time period between the fifties and like late fifties, early sixties. I love the clothes of this time period. I love the music, the cars that people drove back then, the styles of you know houses, what they look like inside, the colors, just like you know checkerboard stuff, odd triangle shapes on logos and everything like that. Um, it's just one of my favorite time periods in time, at least style wise. There's oftentimes I've wanted to go back and just have a moment or a party where you dress up like that. You know, you drive up, you know, in your 50s Bel Air or your older truck and just show up and just, you know, a fun time like that. Now I get it, you know, generations are what they are. You know, I look at it from a different site, but just the styling of that point. So first off with the movie, and it starts off with the kids wearing what they're wearing, the sound, you know, you're hearing 
you know, just the music that's playing as they're walking or riding their bikes down the street, all these things just tie into that time period. Uh, so for me, I love that. Um, I know you and I had even discussed that we didn't, without watching it again, we were like, you know, well, music doesn't really tie into this movie as much. But it does. As, as so much as, you know, The Lion King or whatever else we talked about. But this movie really does. Um, literally, you know, with them riding their bikes up when they start arguing with the, you know, other baseball team, when they roll up, like that, the song playing in the background automatically just hits whenever they come riding on their bikes. Mm-hmm. Same way with the carnivals or the pool or anywhere else. There's music really fills in some major gaps in there and just adds in to, or adds on to what they're doing. The, the first song that I remember from watching this movie, I remember recognizing, I think it was from the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. Which one's that? Tequila. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, that, you know, they didn't sing, sing that all the way in the Turtles movie, but mm-hmm. I remember the, the beat and the song, mm-hmm. and um, and I remember watching the movie at some point, like, oh, that's from the Turtles movie, of course. Now, see, I think of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Pee Wee Herman gets up and dances to that song. Okay. So I think of the Pee Wee song okay. or dance. So, but um, I think back about that. And honestly, if I hadn't have watched it last night and you would have just asked me, I automatically would have just jumped in and said, "Well, this movie is about these kids that uh, you know are trying to get this ball back from the beast." No, the beast part doesn't even start until like, the third act. The yeah. f- there's a huge part in the first and second parts of this movie that's all about this kid that's moved into town. He's new. He's moved in the middle of the summer, so he has no opportunity at school or anything like that to find friends. He is by himself, doesn't know anybody. So he's literally having to try to go out and find friends. It's not just this guy in my class or whatever. He's here. His mom is trying to get him supportive. You know, she's being supportive of him going out, finding friends, getting involved in things, and even straight up tells him, like, go get into some trouble. Go get dirty, hop fences, rip your pants. Like, do things. Not not too much, but a little. Um, and I really relate to that in a little bit. Uh, growing up, I was always nervous to get in trouble. I think we both were pretty, you yeah. know, <laughs> decently kids. And watching this and thinking about this last night reminded me, I think it's my middle school yearbook. Katie Honeycutt signed it. And it, su- it stuck with me where I can remember this. But it says, get into some trouble. Um, so, well, it says, have a great summer and get into some trouble. You're too goody-goody. <laughs> now, that stuck with me my whole life. I'm 32 now. That's still stuck and with me. And you're still me. concerned about being too goody-goody. Don't want to be too goody-goody, folks. No, of course not. But, uh, but no, like watching this movie... I knew I loved it, but I felt like a little bit deeper on some things, especially in the first and second act of him growing and Benny really reaching out to him and making sure this kid that didn't have anybody is actually involved. He is taught how to play the game. He gives him the time period. He knows like, hey, look, your kid can't throw a ball. He can't catch. Let me work on this. How can we help him out? Well, that's one of my bigger points. This is really Benny's movie. It is. I mean, I know Smalls is positioned as the, the character, but this is really about Benny mm-hmm. and how he takes Smalls in all the other kids are dismissive of Smalls. Yep. Doesn't want him on the team. He's a, what is it? He's a um, an L seven weenie. L seven weenie. Yeah. Oscar uh, Meyer even. Yeah, and and Beanie, uh, Benny, uh, he brings him in. Uh, he says, "Look, let's bring him in. He, you know, let's teach him how to play the game." Uh, Benny is great. He is, you know, as a coach, when you're coaching athletes who are you know like clearly star athletes, mm-hmm. you want them to be like Benny. You want Typically, be, you don't see that. No, you don't. They're usually all about themselves. But Benny, he was about everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. he knew he could get his. He knew he was the best athlete in town. He knew he was the fastest guy, the best hitter. He didn't care about all that. He enjoyed the game. He wanted to play the game, and he wanted to encourage everyone else along with him. That's what I want to see in a star athlete. Sure. Um, so, yeah, this is definitely Benny's movie, and I, I just I love the Benny Rodriguez character. 
a line that hit me last night that I know I'd heard him say before, but it really like stuck with me where right after uh, Squints calls him an L7 wiener, yeah, yeah, starts laughing and goes, yeah, Oscar Mayer even, blah, blah, blah. And then he look, Benny looks at him and says, what are you laughing at? Yeah, yeah you walk like a duck. <laughs> and he's like, well, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, and he's like, what, you're part of the game? Like, and that's, he's like, well, yeah. And he's like, well, how come he don't get to be? Yeah. And like, that stuck with me. It's like, I aspire and hope, you know, as someday to have a kid and be able to teach him a lesson or just to live that way myself, but be willing to stand up in the middle of confrontation, even with friends or whoever to do what's right and look out for people. Um, it was just so all that was literally within 30 seconds and moves forward, but it's a bold stand that he takes. I have no idea how uh, people, your kids, become like the popular kid. It might, it's mm-hmm. either what to do with they, how they look, how they dress, if they're a good athlete. Um, but I hope that anyone who's growing up as the popular kid understands that popularity, you know, that platform gives you a chance to do some good. Sure. Benny could have been a jerk. He could have. He could have been like, look, I'm the best in town. Look at this kid. He's he's terrible. We don't. He doesn't even deserve to be on our field. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's like, no, let's let's bring him up. Mm-hmm. Let's pull him in. Let's let's make him part of the game. Well, I'll say this. This kind of sums up that a little bit. It says Rod, Roger Ebert, uh, whenever he was doing a review of the movie, um, he Taking said one of my fun facts already. Yep, sorry, I'm stealing it from you, but uh, it's a great summary for it. It says the Sandlot is like the summer version of a Christmas story. They're not penned by the same screenwriter, and they don't share a director or even actors but both make you feel nostalgic for a childhood you probably didn't even have. I think that's awesome and it's perfect because I relate to that and dream to have had a childhood like that. Don't get me wrong, I had a great childhood, but to have that where you're out there every day, like playing ball, playing with your friends, you know, you walk out the door saying, Mom, I'm gone, and then 10 of you or however many are off doing their thing. Um, Christmas Story is the same way. I grew up watching that every year at Christmas, staying up all night, waiting for Santa Claus and watching that movie on repeat over and over and over on TBS counting down how many more times I had to watch it before I could wake my parents up. And it just, it reminds me of what I feel like Christmas was, even though I probably necessarily didn't live in that time period. But You know how we talked about how some people have never seen The Sandlot? Mm -hmm. I've never seen A Christmas Story. That's a shame. Yeah. So We're going to watch that. Probably. Maybe next week. Who knows? Maybe. We got to get you into that. Uh, I think you'll like it. If you like The Sandlot, I think you'll like Christmas Story. Maybe. Before we jump in the best scene, yeah. um, we talked about Benny, we talked about Smalls. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any other notable characters you want to just go ahead and shout out that might not fit into... I love Ham. I love his sure. confidence. Okay, He's a bigger kid. He reminds me of myself a little bit when I was you know, the chubby kid. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. He was confident, though. He, he didn't care. I was not confident. You know, he'd walk around the pool and he'd be talking to the ladies and mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, look at me. Yeah, what's up, girls? Mm-hmm. And then he'd jump in the pool and get them all wet. He didn't care. Mm-hmm. He had confidence everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I just love that he, you know, there was no real body shaming with him. He was just a confident kid. Yeah. And, good, you know, good for him. Uh, honestly, I, each character on the team is different. And I love how they did that and how they casted these characters where some of them aren't even like, your main actors, but they each have their moments that stand out and they gives them their own individuality. We have the older brother, little brother, I think Timmy and Tommy, and just how one just repeats the other one the entire time. And uh, there's so many different people in so many different ways, but just how all they, they handle their spots. Yeah. Um, I love the mom character, how she was supportive of her son, but also supportive in a way of get out there and just try things. Don't feel, you know, she didn't hold him inside and, you know, I don't know what the 
the proper term, shelter him. Yes, like that would be the she point. pushed him to get out there and get involved to get you know, not necessarily get in trouble, but just to make friends and enjoy his childhood and to make the most out of it. Uh, I think that was a big thing for me. Cool. What do you got for best scene? Best scene for me is probably different. Now, if you come up with the same one, that's I got a, a I got a few listed here just in case. My favorite scene out of this entire movie is 4th of July. I had that as one. I, that was the one I referenced last week, so I, gotcha. I knew that was your favorite scene. It is. It, it's To me, if I think of 4th of July, I think of the Sandlot, and I think of the 4th of July. It just seems like the perfect 4th of July. Absolutely. You live in a community where you're all in like a little subdivision. You know, I grew up with some great neighbors that were close, but I didn't live in a subdivision like that where we had, you know, 4th of July have a block party where there's food and there's sparklers and everything going off all the way down the sidewalks where Ham comes running out to grow, you know, to the game and he grabs some random hot dogs off the the table and starts taking off. But they're all just right there. And then the scene for itself, too, is talks about how they didn't have lights. And it was the one time a year they get to play a night game. And so those kids are out there on the baseball field playing their game, doing the thing they love underneath the fireworks. It's a special moment. I mean, I know for you as a coach, you know, once a year you get to take the football team out. Since they're middle school, they don't really play night games, but they get to play one a year underneath the big lights. And it's a special game. Sure. Um, it's a, For some, it's a preview of what they have to look forward to in high school. Mm-hmm. And for others who may not play it in high school, it's a chance for them to get on the field and see what it's like to be under the lights. Yeah. It, it, it's literally, I think they mentioned in the movie, they made them feel like big leaguers or mm-hmm. major leaguers. That's the same thing with my team when we play our night game for middle school. It makes them feel like they're already in high school. It makes them feel like they're under the lights in college. Yeah. Um, it just It's a big encouragement booster for them, and it, we always look forward to it. And while they're out there, uh, Ray Charles, America the Beautiful, comes on. Beautiful. Oh, man. That is the 4th of July song for me. Uh, any, we love going to the Carolina Mudcats on 4th of July. We don't do it every year, but sometimes we try to when we can. But they have like a big fireworks spectacular after the end of the game. They have a big show, and they have, multi, they have like a playlist or a mixtape that you, you know we would talk about playing in the background and this song always makes it into that that segment and for that moment i want to just stand still in time and just appreciate that slow things down enjoy that song and just watch in amazement as the you know fireworks go off in the air uh for me that's my favorite moment it just stands out of what a dream fourth of july would be and that just hits me how about you so i've got a couple honorable mentions um the fourth of july night game is actually probably my favorite scene Mm -hmm. um honorable mentions the swimming pool scene with, sure. with Wendy Peppercorn mm-hmm. and the Sandlot kids versus the Little League team on the bikes. I just loved watching them dominate. That's probably one of the best scenes, especially in, in history of them going back and forth, just talking crap to each other. And then my, uh, my favorite scene is Benny versus the Beast. Nice. Where Benny retrieves the ball mm-hmm. and the Beast is loose and he's chasing them all through town. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that scene. I love, you know, it ends up with the fence on top of the beast and Smalls shows compassion and mm-hmm. no one else wants to jump in, but Benny jumps in. It's like a little sign of respect. Mm-hmm. Like, Hey, I bested you. You're, you know, you are a fierce warrior. I'm going to make sure that you're not going to be too badly hurt. Um, but I just love that scene and everything that followed it. The, that basically ended the movie, but just watching Benny sprint through town, the best athlete in, in the town being chased by this legend of a dog uh, named Hercules. Um, ironically, and watching him go through all the movie, watching the beast jump through the movie screen, mm-hmm. all that stuff, that's my favorite scene. Producer Ricky's favorite song, Wipeouts, playing through that moment. Yes. Uh, and then you talked about a, a great scene there, is in the end where the fence is falling on top of the beast. Mm-hmm. 
it goes back again to show like the music and how it plays a part in that. Because during that moment, the music gets real emotional. It's not some 50s or 60s song. It's just changed up where it's like you want to feel that compassion. You're like, get that fence off that dog. Uh, randomly, I found this by looking through things. Do you know who did the music for this? I don't. It is David Newman. It is Randy Newman's cousin. Wow. Okay. So I had no clue about that, but uh, looking it up, evidently, and there was multiple, like, David's dad and Randy's dad both did music. So in the Newman family. Runs in the family, apparently. Music's all over the place. Uh, but I, I had, honestly, I didn't even think about that scene to put in there, but it is a great scene. Um, let's get into the quotables. What's your favorite quote or quotes? Because right, this so movie entirely is just quotable. You heard it in the intro. It's... The actor even gets it said to him several times a day or a week, you're killing me, Smalls. Mm -hmm. It's even, uh, I mentioned my coworker and my friend Chris, it's one of his uh, audio sounds whenever he gets a text message. Nice. You're killing me, Smalls. I mean, yeah, that's definitely the most quotable line. Um, I got a few others. What what do you have? Well, I've got a couple. Uh, There's that one that's real brief. There's so many little quick lines in this movie that you honestly, if you're not really paying attention, you miss. There's the one where he's taking his time. Benny's taking his time with Smalls and walks back, and you know they're like, "Come on, Benny, you're you know you're taking forever. My clothes are going out of style." Right. There's that, but I caught one last night that I'd never caught in my life. But it's Smalls. Whenever he's getting the s'more, they're telling him the story of the beast. He looks over the fence down there, and he says, "If any kids went over that fence, the beast ate them and they vanished forever." And it was true because I looked over the fence and didn't see a single one. <laughs> I never caught that in my life, but it's like. This kid is convinced because he looked over and did not see any kids' bodies. It's that the obviously the, the beast ate them all. It is the best evidence ever. Um, but that's, you know, the quick little lines like that. But honestly, probably the big thing back and forth, it caught me where I was busted out laughing. But the other team on the bikes come riding up. And then Ham just walks right up and says, what do you want, crap face? <laughs> crap face just caught, catches me completely off guard. And I just busted out laughing. Now, the rest of that conversation back and forth is awesome. But just the what? What do you want, crap face? Well, like, it goes back into Ham's character. I mean, it does. He, in a way, he. I think he's like Benny in a way, mm-hmm. where you know he's not necessarily the best athlete, but he cares about his group, mm-hmm. and he's very territorial. And he's immediately defending their territory. He's ready to fight any given point. Ready to throw to defend. He's his kind of friends. like the enforcer of the of the Sandlot group. Um, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. It's a classic. It's a classic That's line. That's a tattoo-worthy saying. This one, uh, these two are from Mr. Myrtle, who was played by James Earl Jones. Classic. Classic uh, actor. Darth Vader, Mufasa, mm-hmm. you, you get the picture. This one just, you know, it caught me, and I just laughed. Why didn't you just knock on the door? I would have gotten it for you. And then everybody <laughs> turns and squints and just starts hitting him. Yes. He's like, we got the ball back, didn't we? <laughs> and then um, when he's talking with Benny and Smalls, Baseball was life, and I was good at it. I love that because I don't know if you or just in general, the people out there listening, if you haven't had a moment where you still have your grandparents alive, sit down with them and talk with them about just their good old days, their, you know, their times growing up. It, that moment hits me in such a way of remembering times where I've sat down and talked with my grandfather just about working on the farm and working you know, and cooking a pig and just doing things and just the classic, the the things that they enjoyed of just the simpleness of just enjoying life it just reminded me so much of that and said you know talking about baseball and I was good at it it's just it really hits me in that that type of thing where sometimes people get older and we act like they don't matter anymore or they're an inconvenience and that's just wrong like there's so much that we can learn and grow from in those moments and I just suggest you doing that and I loved 
that he, you know, he made a deal with the kids. You know, you mm-hmm. come back once a week and talk baseball with me, mm-hmm. and you know, we'll call it an even trade. But like you said, it also kind of saddens me a little bit that. He probably doesn't have anyone who comes talk to him because, you know, maybe his family doesn't live nearby, sure. but he's got this legend about him from all the kids in the neighborhood um, where he's just just mean old man who, you know, feeds kids to his dog. And mm-hmm. so he's probably very lonely and he's blind. And um, so it just kind of saddens me that he even had to make that offer. But I, I think once Benny and Smalls found out that, hey, this is a really cool, cool guy and has a lot to offer, he played with the babe. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, they would have come and talked to him for hours upon hours on end. I really like that quote because I remember when baseball was life. Mm-hmm. When I was 9, 10, 11 years old, my dad was our little league coach, so we'd have the um, the scorebook. Mm-hmm. Like, and I would go through after every game, and I would calculate everyone's batting average. Wow. And just, you know, I would dream up our lineups, and mm-hmm. uh, we'd play every team in the league, so I'd look at their lineups and see. You know, I would just analyze the game, and it, that was my life. Um when I was cutting grass with my dad, I was daydreaming about the Tuesday night or the Friday night when we would play on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, when would I, where would I be hitting? Would I be playing in center or left field tonight? Because mm-hmm. I played both. Um, baseball was life for a long time, and then it didn't. And then for some reason, it didn't become life. It you know, sure. other um, things happen. You know, life you, changes. You grow up a little bit, and but I still remember fondly loving the game that much. Cool. So, those are any more quotes for you. No, um, there's like I said, that whole movie literally is just quotable. There's so many other lines too, but we could be here for another hour just specifically just trying to list everything. Uh, let's jump into fun facts. What you got? All right, so the Beast uh, or Hercules was mm-hmm. played by two different English mastiffs. Did I cut? Did I say that right? Mastiffs. Mastiffs. They're big dogs. They are big They're dogs. Really big dogs. Except for the times when it was played by a puppet that took two people to operate. Did you see the picture of that? I did. I looked that up because. I love behind the scenes stuff like that, and I'm a type of person that I love visual effects where it's done with puppets and things like that versus all just CGI. I feel like we lose a lot now where everything just automatically CGI versus real people and real things right there that the you magic, can touch. The magic of that, you know, coming to life. Yeah. Is like you really look at awesome Ninja Turtles see. and see that first, you know, the 1990 Ninja Turtles is amazing and it blows every other one out of the water especially the recent ones because of just the visualness of them ninja turtles or you know giant turtles walking through other people well it's amazing what technology can do sure um and that's that's amazing in its own right but it just for me it feels more real when it's something when you're looking at the 1990s ninja turtles it felt real Mm -hmm. that dog felt real it is i looked it up last night because i just wanted to know and there's this giant head that's a puppet that's whenever he's eating the erector set or whatever, mm-hmm. trying to pull it back down. And then, like you say, there's another one. This, this dog is so big, or the costume is, you know, the puppet. Two people are inside that thing walking. I think that's from the scene where they're doing the flashback, black and white, talking about how they're having to keep him locked up forever. That's another forever. one we missed out on. But um, that, that's awesome to me. So the dialogue in the scene where the boys are watching Wendy Peppercorn, mm-hmm. she don't know what she's doing. Yes, she does. Mm. She knows exactly what she's doing. That is a reference to a similar exchange in the movie Cool Hand Luke. Totally didn't know that. Yeah, I've never seen Cool Hand Luke. It's got uh, what's his name? Luke. Isn't it? Is it Clint Eastwood? Is it? Yeah, probably Clint Eastwood. I'm probably wrong, and everybody out there's yelling right now. Cool Hand Luke's also a band. They were yes. really good. So, yes. um, and the last one I had before you stole my um my Roger Ebert one, the director. Mm-hmm. When they're filming this scene where Squint's getting CPR mouth to mouth from Wendy Peppercorn, 
this I actually found this out last year um, on the David Glenn show, which is a sports show that show uh, plays on ninety nine nine The Fan mm-hmm. here in Raleigh from twelve to three. David Glenn is a huge Sandlot fan, so they did this big thing for the twenty fifth anniversary last mm-hmm. year, and this was a fact that I actually learned last summer. The director. Uh, had to give Squints a stern warning before they filmed this scene. You keep your tongue in your mouth. You understand? Yep. <laughs> I saw that last night for the first time ever. I was like, I didn't think anything about it. But then all of a sudden you think you're a teenage boy and you just don't know what they're going to do, so you have to tell them. Um, what fun facts do you have? Uh, watching this scene, this kid has gone and grabbed you know, his stepdad's Babe Ruth baseball, goes out and plays with it, loses it to a beast. I was like, how much is that worth? How much did he just knock over that fence and feed to a dog? So I looked it up. In 2012, now there's a variety of others. This was just the first one I came across. 2012, a signed Babe Ruth baseball, which was in good condition, such as the condition it was originally, sold for $388,375. Wow. And now, I get it. This is based in 1962. Yes, so that's a cool 60s. Yeah, that's a a cool six years after this movie, but still, that's a lot of change. That's a lot of money. Uh, I also looked up, because he goes in, and James Earl Jones says, well, that stinks, your ball's this way, but here, here's a 1927 Yankees team signed ball where the entire team signed it. Yeah. Uh, I found a variety of things, but what I did find from uh, a curator or whatever says that that ball could be worth up to $125,000. I did see fun facts, too, where a lot of the scenes where they were filming this, I think it only filmed like 47, 42 days. 42 days. 42 days. Uh, It was over 100 degrees almost all the days. Except for one. Except for one. It was 56 degrees the day they filmed the swimming pool scene. It is. And so when you see Squints like looking at Wendy and mm-hmm. his teeth are chattering, that's, real that's, not chatter, acting. that's not acting. He's actually that cold. I know you want to look at him and be like, that kid is such a great actor. Look at him doing that with his teeth. It's like, no, that kid's no, freezing. That, that, that's method acting. He's really freezing. And he's going to you know freeze to death soon. Get him out of the pool. Uh, one other random fact. The Sandlot Field still exists today. Okay. Uh, I looked up. I'm friends... Oh, I say I'm friends. I follow Patrick Renna, the place ham, okay. on Instagram, and he posted a picture not too long ago with his son on the field. Now it's a big, overgrown, you know, not you couldn't recognize it for what it is, you know, him just standing there. But he posted it, and he went back and took his son there, and he's standing in the middle where, or at the edge or whatever of where the Sandlot Field once was. It still is the same field, still the same thing. Wow. Uh, and it still exists this day. I did watch something later. I think it's hard to get to. It's blocked off by the person that owns the property around it or something. But it does. It's still there. Uh, I did see one other random fact real quick is they were having trouble figuring out how to build the tree house. They needed a tree that was big enough. And to in order to get an oak tree that would hold a, a tree house that big for all those kids to stand in and be safe and everything else was going to cost them into the hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get a tree and get it there. Turns out, right down the street, somebody else was having a giant oak tree cut down because it was interfering with power lines or something. So they literally just paid to have the thing hauled to their place. Wow. And so they had to pay the electric company and whatever to take some lines down so they could make the turns to get it down the block. But that tree was cemented into the ground so that they could build that tree house and do that scene there. Uh, stuff I never would have thought of, but that's, that's incredible. Know, the more you know. Absolutely. Uh, I think this is my finally one or final trivia one. The director, David Mickey Evans. Yes. He also co-wrote the movie. uh, And he also plays the actor 
who is the announcer slash narrator in this movie. Okay. So the man you see up in the so he, he is Smalls as an adult. He is. He's the one that does that the entire time. Uh, I've watched a thing with him. There's actually a documentary called Legends Never Die. I never, I didn't get to see the whole thing. I saw like three or five minutes of it online. But uh, he said that the Sandlot was pretty much written about his childhood. Uh, he goes into it deeper. He's got his brother there. He said growing up, his dad split town. Uh, they, his mom was just growing him. They ended up having a stepdad that was mean to him. Honestly, they had a real rough childhood. They were in a neighborhood where friends, you know, they weren't considered cool. The kids didn't like them. They were, you know, they had these group of kids that would get together all the time and play baseball to the point that his brother went down to the game. And there was a real life old house with a story behind it of the beast where they would hit balls into and nobody would go in it and get it. Cause there was a mean dog in there named Hercules that they couldn't get the ball back from. Well, his brother went and talked to the kids playing baseball and said, look, if I can get the ball out, will you let me play with you? And they said, sure, if you can get the ball back, you know, you can play. So this kid climbs into the fence, gets the ball, is coming back over. Hercules, the real-life Hercules, chomps onto his calf, yanks him down, like tears, bites him, everything else. And the kids just laugh at him, run away, and everything else. Uh, so he said that really stuck out to him. So he ended up writing the story. And he said at the end of the first paragraph, he says something along the lines of, and it was the greatest kids that you ever knew or, you know, best friends, whatever. And he said at that point, the entire story changed of what he dreamt that his childhood could have been like. Right. So the people did exist. There were kids that played baseball. There were kids, you know, there was a beast. There was a Hercules. But uh, there wasn't a, a real-life Benny that was, you know, that connecting point to really bring them in. So it's kind of like what he dreamed it could have been if right. there would have been. Um. So that's a sad point, but it's cool to see that he turned around and made something awesome out of it. That is, that is kind of cool. And one thing I don't even have written down, but I remember reading, uh, he was actually sued. Um, he was. For this, uh, where they said they based their character off, uh, mm -hmm. the guy suing him said, you based this character off of me. Mm -hmm. And the court said, well, yeah, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's not damaging your name. He changed no. the name and everything. So And he didn't damage it in a way. And, it, and I saw because of that, other people have been able to use references like that in their other movies now because they were able to reference this now. Uh, let's jump into unanswered questions. All right, I got a good one for you. I've got one big one, but I'll let you go, and we'll see if it's the same. Who owned the Sandlot? That's totally not mine. I, I don't know. Like, they show up to this empty lot. Mm -hmm. Was it owned by the town? Was it owned by, like, you know, someone? Did Mr. Myrtle own it, and he didn't know there were kids in his backyard? I mean, who owned it? That's a good point. I have no clue who owned it. Honestly, I like to just think that it's from a time period where... There was a vacant lot, and these kids were doing something productive and weren't getting into trouble on it, and the town just said, hey, just do your thing. Like, I was trying to picture how this movie would look today, mm -hmm. and I can't because, mm -hmm. it, you know, we don't have these vacant lots. We have these fields, but they're usually locked up and gated up. They um, are. You know, you have to be a coach or, you know, a volunteer or something. Because even in the movie, there's real life, like, actual yeah, there's real specific life, baseball a, a, a fields. baseball field for the Little League. But they're not that these kids are just doing in their own. And I guess, too, like, you think about it now. People get sued all the time for somebody falling on somebody's property and everything else. So I don't know that they could do it. You know, I'm sure it happens. You know, that's the the worst case scenario. Truly but still. an unanswered question. I like it. My answer and un well, my unanswered question. Why didn't Smalls grab the baseball that him and his stepdad yes. practiced with? That's my other one. You already had another one that literally the ball hit you with. in the face yeah. and busted your eye open. Maybe that's why. Why didn't you just go back in the house and grab that one? So I do have a, a small theory with that. Okay. Um, maybe uh, Bill mm -hmm. put it in his pocket, 
Uh, maybe he put it in his bag. Maybe it just wasn't at the house. I don't buy it. I mean, I don't because know. Because the scene literally shows Smalls running in, running straight to that room, and grabbing that Babe Ruth ball. Right. He's a dummy. Yeah, he is. This whole movie could have been different. Could have been avoided. But then we would have missed out on um, I have one. Okay. How does Smalls in 1962 not know about either Babe Ruth or S'mores? Now, Babe Ruth, I know from the 20s and stuff. that, mm-hmm. you know, But the year prior, in 1961, that was the year Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's home run single season record. Would have been in the news, would have been in the newspapers, would have been a big deal. Um, I don't see how a kid growing up, even if he wasn't interested in the baseball, um, wouldn't know the name Babe Ruth. It's like us, you know, growing up not knowing the name Michael Jordan, whether you're into basketball or not. Michael Jordan's a brand. He's a name, like a household name. Babe Ruth would have been similar in the 1960s. I get it. The only thing I can think of is even when we're growing up in the 90s, you got Michael Jordan. There's literally posters everywhere. There's music. There's TV everywhere. Mm-hmm. Versus back then, you really didn't have much. You had black and white television, only a few channels maybe. You know, I assume you had black and white television back then, but yeah. um, you had like radio shows and stuff, but you didn't have the publicity the way you did. And I honestly don't think the kid just really cared at all because until that he found out this could be the connecting to, he didn't really ever pick up a baseball glove. He had a plastic toy baseball glove that his aunt or grandma gave him. And so he tries to get them, you know, his stepdad to teach him so he can learn and go play with these kids and get involved. Other than that, he literally sat inside and built with his erector set all the time. So yeah. I guess, too, like, if you're just oblivious, because I get it, though, because, yeah. you know, I didn't watch uh, all the NBA games growing up, but I knew everything about Michael Jordan. Right. I, like, I knew his number, I knew a lot of his stats. Even if you weren't like a Chicago Bulls fan or sure. a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, you knew the name. Yeah. Um, s'mores, though. I can I can somewhat forgive Babe Ruth, but S'mores? I don't know. Really? Because I want to say, when I think of S'mores, I think of the Sandlot. Like now, I remember eating them randomly here and there, but I feel like I think about this scene, so I don't know. I don't know when s'mores were invented. To be fair, I didn't mm-hmm. look that up. To be fair, okay. I have one more, but sure. it's not really. It's more of a, you know, like a rhetorical question, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Squints mm-hmm. sexually assaults Wendy Peppercorn, and then marries her. That's Re- not the best route to go. Really, it doesn't work out for everyone. Really. But uh, it worked out for him. I mean, we can we can talk more in depth about that scene, but you know, rewatching it now. I mean, when we're kids, it's like, oh wow, he got one over. He was able to get that kiss from the really good looking girl. Now it's like looking in, looking into it. Now it's like, okay, that's assault, brother. <laughs> that's sexual assault. You just assaulted someone as a nine year old. Maybe the fact that he didn't use his tongue. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know either. I think the fact, too, is that I'm blind to it because this magic moment plays as soon as it happens, so it's just stuck in my mind as, like, a glorious moment. And then she calls him a little pervert. and But then know. always looks at him whenever he walks by the fence. Mm-hmm. I mean, but still, guys, don't go pretending to drown to kiss your crush. I feel like there's one of those things that maybe if you ever randomly, like, held hands with a girl, and, like, I say that like I held hands with everybody. I didn't, but it was, like, a magical moment where you're, like, just so happened to be watching something together and you randomly held hands. It's like the butterflies. But you never dated again, and there yeah. was always that moment that you kind of looked at each other and you're like, what if, but you what were still too What could have scared. been, yeah. So I kind of see it in that sort of light. All right, what's your uh, uh, off topic? My thing, cool. 90s sports movies. Yes. Now you had this, you had The Mighty Ducks, yes. which I love. 
You had the Big Green. Yes. Uh, Rookie of the Year. Space Jam. Space Jam. Uh, you had Field of Dreams. Tons uh, of movies like that so from those movies. time period. Yeah. Do you ever think we'll ever get anything like that again? I don't think so. Why not? We we live in a time of technology, mm-hmm. uh, social media. Everyone's always looking at their phone. It was a simpler time then where you didn't have a phone to look at every two seconds. You had to get out and do stuff. Um, nowadays, again, we're aging ourselves every, every time we say that. I just I don't know. What, what you see on the screen represents what's big in culture. That's true. And as 90s kids, sports were huge. That's true. Sports were that. big. So they made all these sports comedies, mainly for kids, but also like Field of Dreams, mm-hmm. that could have been for a kid or for a dad, mm-hmm. or especially a dad with their kid, you know, because that's what the you know, heart of the movie was about. We talk about that at some point. Yeah. Um, but now, yeah, sports are, you know, signing all these billion-dollar or million-dollar uh, TV deals, but it's lost in the sea of competing for kids' attention with YouTube and with TikTok and with uh, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all this other stuff. Um, not to mention Fortnite, video games, uh, which is, you know, as a kid growing up, yeah, I would have loved to have had the video game culture that they have now. Sure. But it would have definitely taken away from my love of baseball, basketball, uh, football, all the, all the stuff I grew up loving. Uh, I don't think we'll have stuff like that. I think we'll have some specialized stuff. I, I know LeBron James is doing Space Jam too. Supposedly. Um, supposedly. Like, that's been in the works for like six years now. But. but I can't, I mean, when was the last really good sports movie uh, that came out that you were excited to see? For me, it probably, uh, was it Dodgeball? Now it's an adult movie. Or Coach Carter uh, in What's 2004. The, one, uh, the Bench Warmers came out in 06 or 07. Clint Eastwood did one. What was where he was the uh, scout? Now I get it. It's much. It's more mature. See, I don't movie, even remember that. That's one. a good one. I think you'd actually like it. But in the same sense, it's not a kids' movie. It's not a nine, not the same genre, honestly, as what this is. I think honestly, you're right with all that. I hate to say that because there's a part of me that would just love it. But at the same time, if they came out with it now, I don't know that it'd be. It wouldn't have the same effect that it did on us as kids. You have to make a good point there. Um, back then, our big thing was to go outside, play sports. You know. You spent some time randomly playing video games that you had, but a big part of your week was playing basketball, throwing a ball against the house and catching it back, throwing it on the roof and letting it roll back and catching it off the roof. Uh, just playing a catch, like you said, with your friends or your parents. Um, so here's a list I found. Uh, just I typed in the top sports movies the past 10 years, and this mm-hmm. article actually came out in 2014. Okay. So it's Close really enough. the past 15 years. Uh, they have The Longest Yard in 2005, which okay. was a remake. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, boxing movie, uh, won an Oscar. That might be Clint Eastwood's. He mm-hmm. was in that movie. No, no it's not. Uh, Blades of Glory, uh, which was a skating movie with Will Ferrell and Napoleon Dynamite. Mm-hmm. Um, the Blind Side might be the answer okay. to that question. That's true. Um, Dodgeball, I mentioned. Moneyball, Coach Carter, and uh, Warrior, which is an MMA film. Um, I guess the only real sports movies that I can think of that have come out in the past five years or so are boxing or MMA movies. That's true. Trouble with the Curve is the Clint Eastwood one. Okay, it came I've out in 2012. Never seen that. Okay. I really think you'd like that. You should watch that sometime. Cool. Uh, this next topic, I, I put together a bunch of random things real quick. It's almost just like a me say it, Eric quick responds back. And cool. just Rapid fire. Rapid yes. fire. So they may jump over all around, but here we go. Eric, did you ever pretend that you were one of the kids in the movie? No. Did you ever do that with any movie? Uh, yeah, Probably. 
Okay. See, for me, and not to go in a long discussion, like this Mighty Ducks, I go outside and play, and I'd like pretend that I was playing with all the other cast of. I don't think I've pretended to be one. I don't think I would pretend to be um, one of the cast members for any movie. I think I would insert myself into the movie. Gotcha. Um, and I would do that with sporting events too. I remember imagining myself as a North Carolina Tar Heel. Mm-hmm. Um, who is playing against Duke in the backyard mm-hmm. um, on my basketball goal. And I remember throwing up a shot and then falling over like I'd been shoved by Steve Wojciechowski because mm-hmm. I hated him. He was And making the shot and won, this will win the game. And I would do stuff like that, but not as a character or as a player. I w- that would just be Mr. Eric Creech. I mean, I loved that, but I also loved it when you would do like three – Two, one. That's what I would do. And then, yes. would, and then you'd miss. Yeah. And then you'd do it again. Yeah, you got to do it again. Three, that, that didn't count. Two. Like, <laughs> it just kept going on and on. Okay, back to rapid fire. Did you ever get hit in the face or eye with a baseball? Yes. Did you put a stake on it? No. I never saw it into this movie. No, it was usually like a bag of peas or something. Gotcha. Uh, baseball stuff to remember. Smalls is writing a list down whenever he hangs out for yes, the first and time. Yes, the great Bambino, the great Bambino question Bambino. mark. Did you ever make a list with things like that of important things you wanted to remember? No. Okay. Squints and Winnie Peppercorn scene. Did you ever pretend to drown at the bottom of a pool? No. Um, I was a lifeguard. Did I, As a lifeguard, that's my next one. Did you ever have one pretend to drown and try to make out with you? I was no Wendy Peppercorn, so no. Okay. Uh, Chaw, the Big Chief, Ugh, the best. Yeah. Old backy man. Made of bacon bits and licorice, by the way. We That's what was made. They chewed in the movie, and they literally got sick from that, too. Yes. Did you ever try the chewing tobacco? No. I remember being a kid. My uncle chewed chewing tobacco, and he let me and my cousin have one tiny little sliver because we kept nagging him. About threw up myself. Yes. Uh, I remember playing baseball, though, and carrying around a bag of the Big Chew. You take a yes, wad of that. Yes, Big Chew gum. You would stick that in your mouth and feel like you were going to play better mm-hmm. because you had a wad of Big Chew in your mouth. Yeah, between that and the uh, candy cigarettes, it's surprising that none of us are really into tobacco products now. Yeah. Uh, did you do you ever know or did you yourself ever bust the guts out of a ball? No. I did, was a contact hitter, not a power hitter. Did you ever play catcher? Yes. Did you talk smack? No. I always, I never played catcher. I don't have great knees. I always, there would be kids that would do it, but I was the good kid, and I was so goody-goody, I was afraid. Like, you're literally a foot from the empire. How are you not going to get in trouble for talking smack? My dad would not let me talk smack. Good um, enough reason. Yeah, so he was the coach, and my dad, so yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have an erector set? No. I did not. I had Lincoln Logs, so about as close as I could I get. I had Lincoln Logs, too. I could build the baseball log cabin, but that's about the best that I could do. Uh, P.F. Flyers. Yes, the best shoe ever. Enough said. That one scene sold me on it. I had to have a pair, but I've never owned a pair. <laughs> I've never owned a pair either, but watching that scene, I thought, I wonder if they still make these? Well, see, they do. They actually sell them at Journeys, but um, they honestly look a lot like Converse's, except they say P.F. Flyers on them. Right. As the fat kid growing up, I always was like, what can I do to be faster? To, to be faster? Higher. You know, you just imagine liposuction was the key to everything. One day people are going to like me. I'm going to get this fat sucked out. I'll be skinny. Instead of getting out and working out, which I haven't done, same way with PF Flyers. I was like, if I can get these shoes, I can run faster. Uh, I can jump higher, and I bet you I'll, I'll be skinnier. But no, I never bought a pair. Uh, one last random thing to throw in before we jump into people's comments. I have one last question to ask you as well. Okay. So. I would just throw this in. Adam the Woo, he's a guy that has a YouTube channel, lots of cool stuff. I watched it last night, though. He goes back and revisits all the major places from the Sandlot, the major filming locations. Okay. I'd totally recommend doing, going and watching that. 
He goes to the Sandlot. He goes to the neighborhood where all of them are filmed. It literally looks about the same. He goes to the community swimming pool. He does all these different places, and he places like some imagery like back and forth from the scenes from the actual stills of the movie where you can see how things are, even like the drugstore. The drugstore is literally named the same drugstore that it is in the movie. Mm-hmm. It looks identical. It's shut down. It doesn't run anymore. You look through the window. It's still all these 50s, 60s decor. Everything's the signs are still the same. Everything's identical. More fun fact: that mm-hmm. drugstore actually appeared in two of the Halloween sequels. Really? Yes. My wife would love to know that. So, my last question for you: mm-hmm. Could this be remade as a ten-episode Netflix series? I'm hoping so, because there are talks of it becoming a TV series. I was going to say it's being reported that it's the Sandlot series is coming to Disney Plus, and Sandlot director David Mickey Evans. Um, said he uh, was pitching it to a network. It was revealed recently it would be Disney+. Plus. Uh, as for what the series is about, all he would say is that it takes place in 1984. It will bring back the original kids from the Sandlot, which means they're all going to be around 33 years old at that point, and each of them have kids of their own. I think that's awesome. My only concern is they make it too kitty. Because yeah. even going back now, like I said, watching the Sandlot last night, these kids are still like, it's the, not just tiny little kids' movies. No, these are kids who were not perfect, mm-hmm. used bad language, stole uh, dip, um, got kicked out of pools. I mean, they were kids. They weren't like like cleaned up for television. They weren't overly polished. Exactly. They were just kids, that just, just like kids your other that, kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, who occasionally used bad language. I mean... I'm know, not promoting bad language. I'm not promoting it either. Time, As a average, nine or ten-year-old, did sure. you occasionally throw in a swear word when sure. your parents weren't around? I was trying not to be goody-goody. Yeah, me too. So I had to learn how to cut. I remember in fourth grade, I, you know, I heard a kid say something sucks, and I like, you can't say that, and like, say what? And I was like, I wouldn't repeat it. Mm-hmm. And I What was, you just said. And I was laughed at. I was like, wait a minute. Well, I'm going to start throwing this in then. Mm-hmm. Um, For the longest time, I thought pervert was like a horrible word. Yes. Because my mom would not let me repeat that when she screamed, when Wendy screams that in the movie. Yes. So all these words like Uncle that. Frank uses it in Home Alone, too. He does. Um, I remember as a third grader, I that was the first time I ever used the phrase "shut up," hmm. because I was told that's bad. You can't use that. That's that's ugly. We don't talk ugly. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was no one around, but the dogs were barking at my grandmother's house mm-hmm. outside the Beagles, and I no one's around. I looked around and I yelled, "Shut up!" Mm-hmm. Then looked around again, "Shut up!" I tell you, <laughs> I was just scared to death of it. I'm just glad I didn't pick up on, you know, Ham's conversations and, like, repeat them at school. Wow, yeah. Can you just imagine walking up to a kid in school and like... Is that your sister? What are you doing here, crap face? <laughs> you know, I love this now. I think it's hilarious to joke about, but... You think she'd go time. out with me? Yeah. <laughs> um, you want to jump into some comments we had online? Let's do it. Go for it. And I'll, I'll do mine last. All right. So, Laura Daniels Davis. Get it right. Got her last name right this time. She commented on Facebook. I'm trying to find the comment right now. She said that her favorite line is, it's about time, Benny. My clothes are going out of style. Mm -hmm. And the biggest thing she remembers from this movie, though, is being disappointed at the size of the dog once we finally got to see it. I was totally expecting him to be bigger, and I love watching it now that I know what a big deal James Earl Jones is. I had no idea when I was younger that he played so many iconic roles. I just knew him as the blind man in The Sandlot. That's great. So, uh, and Chris Rode, I think he echoes... There's our Chris reference. Chris made it in. He almost didn't. I didn't even think about you that. You know, I was going to throw him in at the uh, lifeguard scene uh, when we talked about mm. it, but I forgot to. So, yeah, here you go, Chris. 
Uh, he mentioned there were two baseballs in that household, mm-hmm. and the scrimmage game was great, and the junk that Ham talked was just as good. It was. So, what do you have for us? This week, we have a special segment. The Sean McGovern asks. Shawnee. Uh, Sean sent us a bunch of messages last night on our Instagram page, and a lot of it of stuff I'd already thought about, but I brought it back up to him, and he said that he loves this movie. It's one of his I, favorites of I all time. I think he wanted to guest host, um, or you know, on the podcast because he really does love this movie. Pretty sure he's working. He works as a police mm-hmm. officer. Because um, I sent him a text earlier and he has not responded, so I'm hoping he's just helping clean up our streets. Yep, so. or sleeping from or, cleaning up earlier. Yeah, one of those. So, uh, so we're going to go through a couple of these real quick. It's just some topics he brought up. It says, "How do y'all like the line slash insult? You play ball like a girl. Would that go over in today's climate? No, no, it would not. It would not. In fact, I think some people are actually trying to turn it into a positive." You know, when you play like a girl, they're trying to say that's a good thing because, mm-hmm. you know, girls are strong and tough and can do anything that a boy can do. If you want to watch any girls that I ever knew growing up playing softball, they were tougher than most of the boys. We had one on our Little League team uh, who ended up playing softball for North Johnston, Candace Evans. She played on my team. She played on one of my Little League teams, too. Mm-hmm. Um, she played first base, was mm-hmm. the best first baseman we had. Uh, she was working on her underhanded, you know, or, uh, her speed pitching or whatever. Um, so we wouldn't let her on the mound because, you know, we didn't want to mess up with her rotation, but she was a fantastic first baseman. I remember in high school, uh, she was a pitcher in high school in softball. She team. was dominant as a freshman. She all the was way insane, through. but I remember like she had shorts on one day and there was this giant bruise on her leg. And mm-hmm. I was like, What in the world is that from? She's like, Oh, it's from pitching. It's like every time my arm comes around, it hits my hip and that's when I know to yeah. release right. Girl had a giant bruise from where she is slaying sending these things like rockets down the like the line. Uh and same way with other sports. You know, it wouldn't go over well today. Honestly, if they probably put it out, they'd either overdo it where they comment so much about it and make it a positive, or they probably just cut the line out. Definitely. Uh, next from Sean. It says, so the Sandlot takes place during the summer in the early 60s, and it was the norm for kids their age, roughly 10 to 14, he's guessing, to go out in the neighborhood and just play ball and hang out. But now in 2019, kids are indoors so much and either on their phones, video games, or in front of a TV, Parents kind of look down on their kids for doing that, but at the same time, what parent is going to let their 10- to 14-year-old kid just go out and about in the neighborhood all on their own like they would back in the day? So, do you all think we will ever go back to those days of how the Sandlot kids spent their time? Unfortunately, I feel like we we live in a society where we promote fear. Mm -hmm. Um, There's fear of being abducted, fear of being, you know, assaulted, uh, fear of your kids getting kidnapped or whatever, so we keep a, a tighter leash on mm-hmm. it. Even to the point uh, when we were growing up, we didn't have that tight of leash that you said mm-hmm. you would walk to the pool. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, I lived in micro the first 10 years of my life and just walking around the neighborhood with the mm-hmm. kids and we'd go ride our bikes and stuff. I don't think it happened now. Um, you know, I, I don't live in town anymore, so I don't know. I don't see kids doing that, I'm, but the ones I do see, you, you look and you think, well, they're up to no good. They're, they're walking mm-hmm. around doing nothing. And, and probably people thought about that about us, and we were walking probably. Too. But uh, I, I have some memories about that. I'll probably mention that next week when we talk about our topic. But um, I'm, I agree. I hate it because I really wish we just lived in that type of place where everybody was safe. But mm-hmm. it's unfortunately, it's not the world we live in now. Uh, he said, Sean's next one. So Benny the Jet Rodriguez clearly lived and breathed baseball and was just more into it than the other kids. Now, was this because he was just so much more talented? Or is he just much more talented because he lived and breathed baseball? I think it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. I think he was talented, and he knew he was talented. But I think him living and breathing the sport gave him that edge. 
Um, I think of the pool scene where the other kids are complaining it's so hot. And, and all he wants to do is play, play baseball. Yep, and th- that gives – when you have athletes like that, you can have athletes who are equally matched, but the one who cares more is going to be your most talented one. And I think Benny, he might have – I think there might have been players on that field who could have been just as talented as him, but he just cared more. So Totally agree with that. Uh, two more. It says, so Old Man Myrtle and the Beast were rumors and stories passed down from kid to kid. Were there any similar rumors or stories from our childhood? I can't think of any. I think of one. Okay. I don't know the full story. I didn't grow up in Pine Level. But there is a Pine Level, uh, call it legend, okay. history, fact, whatever you will, of the Wampus Cat. Okay. Uh, I know it roamed the streets. I know it's a mysterious giant cat called the Wampus Cat. But literally, that's all I know about it. Uh, like I said, I didn't grow up in Pine Level. My mom did. I know it was passed down. She knew about it. And I remember other friends like Michael and everybody else talking about the Wampus Cat growing up. Uh, last one. Okay, Smalls can't throw the ball at the beginning of the movie, which for back then was probably very rare. Nowadays, it is uncommon at all. It's not uncommon at all for a kid not to be able to throw a ball. I think that's right. You're you're a physical education teacher, though. What do you think on you that? You got it right, too. I'm I did. I, I made sure to say that correctly. It is not uncommon. Um, when I was growing up, you learned how to throw a ball from your your mom or, or from your dad more, mm-hmm. more uh, accurately, but sometimes your mom. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt played sports. She mm-hmm. taught me um, how to shoot. My dad taught me how to shoot. I mean, they were both into sports. Um, I don't know how much of that you get from parents now. Um, you know, I'm not throwing all parents under the bus. I'm sure there are some who work with their kids, but I, sure. see, I see a lot of kids who are clueless on how to throw a ball accurately, mm-hmm. um, how to throw with the mechanics and with their aiming mechanisms. We work on it uh, pretty hardcore uh, in the spring. Uh, just because I'm trying to promote them to get into recreational sports in the in the community, um, and I want them to know what they're doing. Um, we have kids who don't know which way to run on the bases, and I'm not talking like kindergarten, first grade. I'm talking about fourth and fifth graders who have no idea how to run the bases. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not necessarily uncommon for sure. So, it, but it all goes back to what's capturing their attention. Um, it's the phones, it's the social media, it's the internet. Even if they don't have their own phone, they're usually on their parents. Mm-hmm. Um, we use these as babysitting tools, and we expect them to raise our children. And that's why some kids just have no idea how to shoot a ball, how to throw a ball, how to catch a ball. So, um, not uncommon at all, Sean. Not uncommon at all. Those are great questions by Sean. Uh, anybody for, for future reference, definitely feel free to jump in. Uh, I think that wraps it up for us this week on the Sandlot. There's totally so much we've skipped over. Uh, There's things that we did not talk about, scenes that are huge that we didn't talk about. But there's just so much about it. We're not here to completely give you a giant recap. We're just here to talk about what stands out in the moment for us. So definitely go back. We'd love to still hear from some of your favorite things. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite summer memories. Uh, This is, you know, the potential to be a very personal podcast. It can be very vague. We really want to hear from the listeners. Because next week we need more than just mine and Eric's favorite summer memories. Yeah, we can talk about our stuff growing up all day long, uh, but we want to, you know, get a variety of responses, um, not just us, and then see how, compare them all and see how they uh, line up. So uh, shoot us a message uh, on social media, facebook.com slash whatthewhatmedia, WTW underscore media on Twitter, whatthewhatmedia on Instagram. And if you're listening to this for the first time and you want to subscribe to us, you know, I don't know how you're listening to it without, you know, finding, you know, a podcast provider, but search us, what the what media, all one word on Apple, 
Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean and subscribe to us. And we'll thank you. But we'll put that question out early next week. Uh, and we hope to hear from a lot of you. Yeah, definitely let us know. We look forward to hearing from you. Your, some of your favorite summer memories is very vague. It's super vague. We wanted to leave it that way so we can all just kind of chime in because we all come from different backgrounds. We had different childhoods. So look forward to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, that's it. it. That's all yeah. I got for this week. So. Stay as cool as the other side of the pillow. We'll see you next week. What the what? Bye. Bye.